Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrence. Concurrence is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrence is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. Hello, Michael. We're very pleased to have you on this podcast. It's going to be the uh, sixth edition of this podcast and we're pleased and honored that uh, you accepted our invitation to join. Today, you're going to speak about the French Authority de la Concurrence decision, about the Google decisions on ad tech. You may remember, listeners, that we already had a podcast on this decision with Masmi Dasmi Ferouz from Free Academy Law Firm. And Ferouz brought the view of the lawyer. Today, we're going to have the view of the economist. Michael is a leading economist at CRA, Char River Associates. And I understand, Michael, that you've been working on the case yourself. Yes, thanks. Thanks, Nicola. And um, I have to say, I listened to your first podcast on this topic with great interest. And I'm very happy to be here today to give um, more of an economist view indeed and a bit of an insider view as well, because I've been advising one of the lead complainants in this case. So maybe I can start by giving a bit of context. Basically, what we've seen is there has been a growing interest in this field over the recent years by competition agencies. So it started with a number of reports and then eventually led to a number of formal investigations and complaints. So the case is about ad tech. So ad tech refers to these advertising technologies that are used in online advertising by advertisers and publishers to buy and sell ad inventory. So an example of an ad advertiser will be Nike. An example of a publisher would be the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Last year, for example, the CMA published so, uh, a very rich market study, including strong recommendations to address competition issues in, in ad tech. Shortly after, we've seen a coalition of states in the US led by Texas, filing against Google regarding very similar practices. Then, of course, uh, we have the French decision that we'll uh, discuss today. And it's the first decision in this field. And it was published in June uh, of this year. A few weeks after, what is interesting is actually a few weeks after the, the French decision, the EC uh, launched its own formal investigation also in, in ATEC. The most recent example would be the ACCC in Australia, um, that has published its final report, um, also covering ad tech practices with mechanisms that look very familiar and, and very consistent with what we can read in the French decision. Yeah, so, Michael, if I can interrupt you there, I understand what you're saying now, that uh, this is a French decision for sure, but this concerns Google and similar practices you're saying have been discussed by many other agencies in the world. The CMA in the UK, the USA, the European Union, of course, and also the agencies in Australia. So the question that we would have is that to which extent the French decisions apply to outside France? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good question. Because it's the same practices, the other agencies have been following this decision with great interest. And indeed, there is, when you look at the decision, there is nothing that is French-specific about this case. So, so, so that's a very good question. It's the markets that are defined are at least EU-wide, and the technologies are the same everywhere. Google's technologies in particular are, are really the same everywhere. And adding to that, Google offered remedies... And the remedies that have been offered will be applied everywhere. 
around the world. So indeed, you, you wonder why France. And it happens that, that, that France has been at the forefront of big tech cases for a while. And we've seen many decisions before this one against Google and then investigations regarding Apple, uh, Facebook. So they have a very deep understanding of this field and they wanted to act quickly. So that's probably why they are the first to release a decision. But indeed, that, that's one of the, the interesting things in this case is, is to follow the, the progress of the other cases, just to understand, will the practices be the same? Will they be different? Uh, why do we need other cases if remedies are applied worldwide? Um, so that's indeed a, a very good question and very, very good point to raise. So let's just take a step back just to wonder why it, it matters so much. And, and, and essentially, what we've seen is a change of paradigm, a change of model in advertising, moving away from so-called contextual advertising towards programmatic advertising. So what does it mean? Contextual advertising is basically having a fishing road advert in a fishing magazine. So that's simple. And the publisher content would be the basis for, for targeting, right? And then what is programmatic advertising? Programmatic advertising is that you'll have this fishing road advert while you're reading an article about Lionel Messi at PSG on your favorite newspaper, just because the advertiser knows that you like fishing as well as football. And the implication of this is important because it means that the value is no longer with those creating content necessarily. It is with those having access to data and targeting capabilities. So that is Google and Facebook essentially. And meanwhile, we've seen newspapers struggling financially, which is a concern, of course, when we know and we are all aware of the importance of having quality news today. So that's why, in essence, AdTech receives so much attention and why it matters to have effective competition in these markets. Okay, that's very interesting to see that the French authority has been so effective in this case, but in other also in other previous cases, if you read the uh, information the press uh, released by the authority, they take pleasure to mention that they've been very active in the past in previous decisions, but also now there is a new decisions against yeah. Google on another topic, and they fine uh, Google this time half a billion euros, which is a massive fine. But and it's a related topic, actually. It's another. It's interesting that you raise it because yes. it is. It is a related topic because it is again about probably the remuneration of newspapers. So this is the, the pay for content and neighboring rights right. case, and it's uh, in a sense it's related because at the end of the day it is about the question of how newspapers, in particular, can monetize effectively that intent. That, that's also uh, they are strong connection, and uh, the issue coming issue yeah. is complementary in effect. No. The press and the, the, the quality of the, of the press, for sure. But can you tell me more about the functioning of this auction and the type of issues raised by the agencies? Because it's very complex. I, I took uh, some time to read the decision again and again. I have been helped by a diagram uh, that the authority put. We're going to also include in this podcast a document with the diagram where you can see who's who. But tell us more. Yeah, yeah, no, indeed, it is deeply complex. And that's why the, the decision is, is quite impressive in that sense. So going into the intricacies of you know, complex programmatic options dynamics. So let me try and, and tell you how this works. We're going to start from the beginning. When you load a page on a website, it creates automatically ad slots or impressions. An impression is important to understand the definition. An impression will be one ad seen by one user. And these impressions will be up for sale. And what the publishers want is to create competition between advertisers. 
to say the New York Times, will want to create, it has ad inventory to sell, and it wants to create competition between buyers, eventually between advertisers. And the role of ad tech intermediaries in this context is to facilitate the placement of ads and organize auctions to determine the price at which impressions will sell. And they charge tech rates uh, along the way, which there have been a number of public studies, and usually they represent between 30 and 60% of what the advertisers pay. So it's, it's a lot. There is often a parallel that is made with financial market, and, and even Google likens itself, its ad exchange, like being the, the New York Stock Exchange of advertising and its marketing documents. But you can already see a big difference where you have usually in financial markets that the market makers charge a few basis points and here are 30, 60. Of course, the parallel has its limitation, but, but anyway, that's interesting already to see that indeed it's quite different. So that's the beginning. And then I mean, you have three layers. The process will involve three key layers of intermediaries starting from the publisher and, and going from the advertiser. Mm -hmm. You first have the ad server of the publisher. The ad server is basically managing the ad inventory of the publisher. And the ad server will connect to multiple ad exchanges that are called SSPs for mm -hmm. supply side platforms, because the supply will be the publisher. Mm -hmm. And these SSPs will organize auctions between buyers. And these buyers, we go to the third level, are called DSPs, demand-side platforms. So basically, the ad server first, sending requests to ad exchanges or SSPs, and the SSPs also connecting one level up to the DSPs, or demand-side platforms, that are also organizing auctions. And the role of the DSPs is to uh, collect demand from advertisers. So they are rather advertiser-oriented, hence the name, demand-side platforms. And you have competition taking place at each level. So that's, you remember the parallel I just made with financial markets is, well, there is a key difference that there is no single marketplace where all advertisers and all publishers would meet. There are rather three layers, the ad server, the SSP, and the DSP. So it's quite fragmented in a sense. You have to go through all these layers, and at every level, competition is taking place competition between the SSPs, competition between the DSPs, and competition between the advertisers. And all this is happening in milliseconds while you load your page. And you can have up to four auctions organized in milliseconds just for a single impression. That gives you a bit of the idea. And flowing from this, you can already see how it may give rise to competition concerns. Because what's happening is you have Google being active across the, at every level of the stack. So basically what happens is that you have the same person organizing and participating in, in the same auctions, essentially. So it's easy to conceive that this can give rise to conflicts of interests. And what is interesting to realize is that historically, these intermediaries, they would be either publisher-oriented or advertiser-oriented for a simple reason, because it's easier to go and see the publishers or the advertisers and say, I'm going to work and defend your best interests. Because indeed, the interests of these different parties do not align. I mean, the, the advertisers, in a sense, they want to pay as little as they can, and the publishers would like to monetize as effectively as possible. So, but now you have Google active at every level of the stack, and you have these conflicts of interest quite naturally arising. And this is confirmed in, in the report I was mentioning before uh, from the ACCC, even last week, it was confirmed again very clearly that these conflicts of interest can, can give harm, can harm uh, both publishers and, and advertisers. So if you have, again, in mind this comparison with the, the financial markets, 
Well, the financial markets are quite regulated, right? And in this case, it's very opaque. So this is why you can have competition concerns. Then there is a sort of second block of concern would be around interoperability and self-preferencing. It's related to that, but these intermediaries, they need to talk to each other. Of course, if you work with the same company, say Google, if it's vertically integrated, it will work better. So partly probably for like technological reasons, and partly due to anti-competitive conduct, the, the French decision says. And maybe the last block of concern is around uh, data, of course, and privacy issues. Mm-hmm. These are super important in these markets, of course. And actually, it's not something that the decision has looked at because it was focusing on the self-referencing issues in this case. So what are the data and privacy issues? Well, these relate, for example, to the way digital platforms can interpret GDPR rules and the use of cookies and Google's decision, for example, to ban third-party cookies from Chrome. So all these things are are also very important part of the concerns that we can see raised by competition agencies around the world. That's all very interesting, Michael. I never realized that when you're downloading a page, so many things happen and millisecond rate. That's fascinating. It's good to understand the the context, the, the ecosystem, how does it work? But now let's go back to the French decision. What was it about specifically? The French decision is about self-preferencing and self-preferencing happening on the publisher side. So that is between the ad server and the SSP. You remember there are three layers, the ad server, the SSP, and the DSP. And here it's about the question of interaction between the ad server and the SSP. So Google is dominant on the ad server. And the decision says that Google abused its dominant position on the ad server to favor its own products. And there is a double self-preferencing. It's that Google's ad server favored Google's SSP and Google's SSP favored Google's ad server. Now, the practices involve a mix of uh, interoperability and bidding data sharing conduct. So, for example, the ADLC says that Google prevented real-time bidding for rivals or communicated rival bidding data to favor its own SSP to give itself a leg up in the auctions where all the SSPs compete. Google would know, would have some information on the bidding of its rivals. And we can say that this decision is very important and it's the first of its kind for for three reasons. I think the first one is, well, it's the first decision in these complex markets and many cases are ongoing. It's also the first time that Google settles with a competition authority. And it's the first time that Google voluntarily offers remedies. And these remedies, as we've said before, are applied worldwide. They are quite technical and they relate to the way well, the intermediaries can talk to each other and also to the bidding information. Essentially, the commitment is that Google would either stop leveraging bidding information it has about rivals or it would ensure that it would share the information it has so that everyone is at the same level of information. So you think this decision is a first for many point of views and especially on remedies. I understand that, right, that the remedies are worldwide. They are not EU-wide. That's correct. Yeah, that's what Google said, that the remedies would be applied everywhere. 
Okay, because so because it's the same tools indeed that are used. The same tools, yes. Yeah, yes. That probably doesn't make sense for Google to, to do something specific. And okay, so there is nothing specific yeah. to a given market. Globally, yeah. this works the same all around the world. So um, the authority accept this remedy, self-proposed by Google. So do you think it's going to alleviate the concern from the other agencies, I'm thinking about the US in particular? Yeah, that's a fair question. Well, we can have doubts. For a number of reasons. Probably the first one is that, remember, there are other concerns that we can read being raised by, by other agencies. It's unclear whether in that context, the US would like to impose other remedies because you have these other practices potentially going on. And then even for the practices that have been signed in the French decision, it's unclear yet whether the remedies will be effective or sufficient. But the remedy, they've been accepted by the authority. So the authority think they are effective. Course. Yes and no. I mean, huh? there has been, I think, a misunderstanding sometimes. I mean, it's just that if you read the decision, it says that the remedies will contribute to having more competition in the market. So that's an improvement for sure. So that's why they were accepted. But at no point, decision says that they address all the contexts that have been uh, identified. And just to understand, it's important to remember that this is a settlement decision. It's not a commitment decision. So there could have been no remedy at all. It was a plus, probably part of the negotiations uh, taking place with the Autorité. But, but these, again, were offered voluntarily. So that's good. It contributes to have more competition. But we don't know whether these would be sufficient. And, and actually, you can see a disconnect. I mean, it's very complex. There is a disconnect with some of the conducts that are identified and the list of commitments uh, proposed by Google. So again, at this stage, let's wait and see. It's going to take a while uh, anyway before the remedies are implemented. So it will be interesting indeed to follow whether it, it is sufficient or not and what the ADLC maybe uh, might have to say regarding those remedies at a later stage. So it's not so clear it's going to be an efficient remedies. One question I had for you is how come that the proposal have not been market tested? Because it was in the, in a context of the settlement decision, so it didn't mm. have to market test properly. These uh, these uh, these was part of the negotiations taking place, part of the settlement agreement that was going on with Google. Well, okay. Thank you for this clarification. It would be very interesting to see if other remedies are in place elsewhere. Uh, you mentioned the uh, CMA, the USA, or the ACCC. They uh, have a new law in Australia. Uh, think about the economics of the case now. What were the main challenges in this case? You've been very active in this case. Tell us more. Well, as you can tell, the, the market is deeply complex. And then adding to that, it has evolved tremendously over the years. With the evolution of the market, the practices also evolved, essentially. So you had to follow the evolution of the market, understand the practices, understand whether you know, some of the contexts were just technological limitations, whether there were truly restrictions imposed by Google and whether they had anti-competitive effects. So yeah, if you read the decision, it seems like there is this long list of seemingly independent practices. And sometimes mm -hmm. you fail to see the link between these and how they, you know, you need to understand the effects as a whole. And basically you can see a common theme. As I said, the decision is publisher oriented in the sense that it looks at the interaction between the ad server and the SSP. So what the publishers want is to have more competition between the SSPs, mm -hmm. which would then the, the buyers, right? And probably that the effect of the context, as the decision says, was to rather shield Google's SSP mm -hmm. from the competition of others. So you can see the tension. And this is the common theme that you see in, uh, in the practices and the conducts that have been fined by the, by the authority. One of the main challenges was to look at the effects as a whole and on all sides, right? Wonder whether the effects are 
additive or multiplicative or, or whether actually one negative effect on one side could mm -hmm. be offset or justified if it has a positive one on the other side. And again, at a high level, you remember, you might think, well, there is a bit of a communicating vessels dynamic because if advertisers pay less, well, surely it's bad for, for publishers, but it would be good for advertisers. Now, of course, the story is different if in fact, what, what's going on is it's just Google in the middle charging higher commissions, which leads to lower prices paid to, to publishers eventually. And can you share with us some specific examples where the authority has to consider effect on all sides or all players? Yes. For example, we can talk about the, the last look. So, so the last look refers to, to the fact that Google, rather than participating in an auction that was called header bidding, header bidding was really important as an innovation in the market. But anyway, so the, the essence of header bidding was that you would have competition between all SSPs, all rival SSPs, but Google refused to participate. And it reserved itself the right to bid after everyone else. Hence the last look. So it would take a last look at the impression after this auction with all the others and decide whether it would like to bid above the winning price or not. And very often it would know the winning price of this first auction. So what you can see is that Google would outbid narrowly by just one penny above the best rival. But that's something that you can measure, right? You can look at the, the proportion of impressions won just above the winning price of this header bidding auction between rivals, but it doesn't tell you the counterfactual. What about the counterfactual? If Google had to participate in the same auction, would Google have won or lost the impression? We don't know. It's very difficult to tell. And this is where the, the decision went quite deep to think about the counterfactual because it wanted to isolate basically the effect on competition. That is the effect on rival SSPs. Basically, you can see two possible effects. If Google had lost the impression, that's an effect on the SSPs, right? The SSPs, the rivals have been harmed. If Google would have won, well, probably it would have won it, but at a higher price. So that means that the publishers this time were harmed. And it was important to disentangle effects. And this is where you can read the decision. And it looked at, it analyzed a data from, from Google and thought about how Google would have responded if it had been forced, in a sense, to participate in this auction. So that's one. I think there is another one that is worth mentioning, which is dynamic revenue sharing. Yeah, you mentioned this to me, yes. So dynamic revenue sharing is this idea that it relates to the fact that Google could vary its take rate dynamically on a per impression basis. So rather than having flat fixed uh, rates of say 20% on all impressions, like others, Google would adjust its take rate on each individual impression, depending on the level of competition. Mm. That's important because competition takes place on a net price basis. So what Google would do is, well, I'm going to reduce my take rate to increase my net price so that I'm more competitive and I can win more options. Mm. And then on others, I'm going to lower, I can charge more. I can charge, say, 30% because I know it's not really competitive, so I can take a higher take rate. I'm still going to win the impression. But went to the publishers and said, but look, rest assured, I won't charge you more than the contractual rate of, say, 20%. So that sounds like a good deal for the publishers. Because essentially, Google is more competitive, it's become more competitive. So, so there is a negative impact that is clear on, on rivals. But Google's defense was to say, but it's good for publishers. So therefore, I have a legitimate justification for this conduct. And again, that seems sort of intuitive. And the decision says no. 
actually you didn't show that it would be good for publishers and you have specific examples showing how actually when only one can price discriminate and not the rivals you can have harm occurring on everyone so on advertisers publishers and the rivals and it's difficult to go through the, the example we, we published an article if you're interested earlier this year and it, it gives you concrete examples to see how this can essentially emerge but the economic intuition is that if only one participant in price discriminates it can lead to an inefficient allocation of impressions harming everyone along the stack and the last point and another implication basically is that it means that you can't really compare the mm. nominal take rates across rivals if one can price discriminate and not the other. That's also important because if you just compare and do a simple comparison of the fees and wonder, okay, is, is Google really charging more? And actually you see, no, everyone is charging 20%. Well, it might hide something actually. It, can, it may hide this effect that is not easy to see at the subject because you don't see it in the nominal take rates. Interesting. But this is a straightforward case of price discrimination between operators. But the rivals could do the same, you know? Google decided to vary its commission, but rivals could have done the same. I don't know if it's Facebook yeah. or other players. Why would price discrimination be anti-compatibility if the other player can do the same? Yeah, that's a good question. And basically, that's something the authority had to address, right? Because Indeed, you might think, well, rivals, you just do the same. You also vary your take rate. So is it just that Google is better at what it is doing? And the decision says no, because others, they didn't have access to the same level of information to build a similar picture. And this information was coming in part from the ad server. So we go back to the core of the decision, which is dominance on the ad server. So that's why the rival SSPs couldn't do the same, just because they didn't have access to this information coming from, from, from the ad server. But, but indeed, it's, it's a very good point because with some of this, sometimes you wonder, well, okay, we can see how Google is better, but is it anti-competitive? And, and here the link is, well, it might be if it is through leveraging the dominant position on the ad server that Google is winning more impressions on the SSP level. So the decision cannot be copy-pasted to uh, Google rivals. I'm thinking about uh, Facebook, of course, uh, that you mentioned because there are some specificities in the case. However, I understand that rivals uh, will carefully read the decision because some part of this could apply to them. Yes and no, because if you're not dominant, you're, you're fine. And Facebook is separate, which also is, is a good question about whether social display advertising and open display advertising are in the same market. Here we are talking about open display advertising. So that's newspapers, for example, publishers, mm -hmm. social display is separate. So, so the competitors, and maybe it's useful to give a few names, is, mm -hmm. so I said there are three layers. So on the ad server, Google's ad server, it's called DFP. And you have in France, smart ad server, for example, on the SSP level, it will be players like Xander or Google mm -hmm. Ad Exchange. And then on the, on the DSP level, the companies are, for example, Criteo or the Criteo, yes. So many other rivals, okay, not only uh, one or two, it's not uh, oligopoly. So what is next? What to expect from other cases, the one you mentioned going outside the EU or in the EU? We can see uh, even that, that other conducts are pursued. So remember, I said, this is really about the interaction between the ad server and the SSP. Okay, what about then the interaction between the SSP and the DSP? Are there issues there as well? So basically, is there self-referencing taking place on the advertiser side as well? 
And that's something that you can see in the Texas complaint. There was even this secret program, Bananki program, that allegedly, according to, to Texas, was revealed. And it's very similar to what I was talking about before price. I mean, it looks a bit similar to the dynamic revenue sharing, where you have a sort of a price arbitrage taking place, but this time at the DSP level, which is interesting. Maybe that there is also an, another, again, from Texas, this so-called Jedi Blue agreement. This time it would be an agreement between Google and Facebook to undermine uh, rival SSPs even more. So this would take the case to another level. It would add a bit of a, a collusive component to the case, potentially. So this will be interesting to follow whether there is indeed uh, something anti-competitive there or, or not. Basically, in terms of conducts, that's what it will be interesting to follow. And, and I think, I really think that these, this is important because if you think about it, it could be at the core of Google's market power. Yes. One last thing would be data, essentially. Mm-hmm. So as I said, data and the use of IDs, the use of cookies, whether we need to have a common ID potentially, but then our privacy concerns. So these are things that, for example, the, the CMA analyzed. And our recommendations in that respect, but it's not in the French decision. So again, let's see whether other competition agencies think that there is something anti-competitive there and other remedies are needed. But I think these things could be at the core of Google's market power. And it could be that the market power was built from the advertiser side mm-hmm. because advertisers wanted to have access to the data and to also Google's proprietary inventories like YouTube. And then it was, so it was built from the advertiser side into the publisher side. So that's why maybe we also need to, to, to look at the advertiser side. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be interesting and it will bring other challenges because as soon as you start looking at the advertiser side, then you have other market definition questions because there is one question in particular is social display, as I mentioned before. Advertising on Facebook, is it a substitute for advertising taking place on a newspaper? Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting market definition question that has not been addressed yet by competition agencies, but this question is relevant to a number of ongoing cases. So the remedies imposed France or proposed in, in France are going to apply worldwide, but the other agencies may be willing to impose different remedies. Can you think about other remedies that the uh, other agencies may consider? Yeah, that's a good question. The CMA market study, it's like a 2,000-page report in total mm-hmm. when you analysis it. There are strong recommendations in there, even suggesting, for example, the separation of the ad server. So Google would have to divest, essentially, its ad server. And the thing is, finding effective remedies can be a headache, as we know, in these markets. And uh, there is a bit of a whack-a-mole dynamics. Uh, You impose a remedy, and shortly after, it may become obsolete. And even in this space, uh, there are a few examples of that already, I think. For example... I was mentioning the last look. The last look has been removed because Google changed its auction settings. So allegedly it was removed, but at the same time, it created a new auction system, creating new concerns. And some commentators say that Google may even be able to extract more uh, than before. Another example is the creation of a universal user ID, something that was considered by the CMA. And the motivation is that Google has access to its own user ID that is consistent across the stack. So it works pretty well. But in the meantime, Google removed, as announced, that it would remove all third-party cookies from Chrome, and it would create you know, the so-called privacy sandbox, where users would not be tracked individually. They would be tracked in cohorts of common interests. The point is, well, if you want to create a unique ID, and in the meantime, Google is imposing a new standard on the industry, maybe it's already obsolete. 
and the technical not, solution may, may be short term. So why don't think like suggested by some in the US, but these investments, structural remedies? Yeah, no, exactly. So the structural remedies could be definitely effective. Now there is, uh, of course, it's a lot more challenging to impose uh, structural remedies. And, mm-hmm. and if we think about the French decision, probably the French authority was not the best place to impose a structural remedy for mm-hmm. a company like Google that would if Google has to divest the ad server, it has to take place uh, worldwide. So definitely, that's not something that the French authority could have asked realistically. But but yeah, the recommendations that you can read are can be quite bold, including with the CMA. But with things moving all the time and privacy sandbox, going back to this, if you think about the, if you go back to the ad server, with the privacy sandbox proposals, you can see that key functionalities of the ad server might be transferred to the web browser instead. So that's partly motivated to do everything on a device, which reminds a bit of, of Apple's model to some extent. But the point is, if key functionalities of the ad server are transferred to the browser, mm-hmm. divesting the ad server will not achieve anything. So again, you have this, this sort of whack-a-mole dynamic in place. So that's remedies uh, solution, potential remedies. Some are, uh, might be uh, short-term, other might be too heavy. And so that's the uh, export uh, regulation, in fact, export intervention. What about ex ante? What do you think about the uh, potential efficiency of the DMA in Europe or the DMU in the UK or Section 19A in Germany? Do you think that could help the issue? Yeah, definitely. I mean, related to all these, these challenges, you have this question about an exempted approach and whether it would be more appropriate because it moved too rapidly. So that's a very good point. And, and you can see actually the CMA was passing the baton to the DMU and to have, uh, to have more of, a, of an exempted approach uh, in this market. So I won't venture into this, uh, this topic now to know whether it's better to do have an exempted approach or whether we have the right tools already, antitrust uh, toolbox. But one thing for sure to, to conclude is that this, this ad tech topic will stay and, and will be under scrutiny, antitrust scrutiny for many years to come. So there will be more maybe in the next podcast about the Google war in Europe and beyond. And of course, what's going to happen uh, with the DMA or the DMU. Michael, that's been very interesting. That's a complex challenge. I'm very happy to have the view of an economist after having the view of a lawyer. We're going to release on the page of the podcast the transcript of our discussion, but also the decision itself, a short diagram and other comments so that our listeners or viewers watching us on YouTube can have a documentation. Michael, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Nicola. You listened to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrence. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrence website where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Laws and join the Concurrence group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.